words and sometimes it was right. So the, the, probably the most famous the pasuk is that a person should love his neighbor as himself. He should love his, his friend. So we discussed actually in, on Sunday morning here, we, we discussed one, one possibility of what could be. Uh, I'll tell you very quickly. Uh, we said that, and it, it doesn't relate at all to what we're saying, but it was just an interesting idea. We know that when we get married, we say, we bless the bride and groom. They should have ahava, achva, shalom, vereut. Ahava is love. This is the lowest level. Achva is brotherhood, so to say. Shalom is, is peace, but also shalom is whole, complete. And the highest level is reut. Being responsible for one another. So when it comes to a husband and wife, this seems to be a possibility that this is the Habtalarecha Kamocha might even be a person could be his wife. And we see Rabbi Akiva makes this statement, and we're going to discuss that this is the state, this is the period of the Omer when Rabbi Akiva lost his students. And the question is when he makes this statement, the Habtalarecha Kamocha, Zek Lal Gadol Batorah. Does he make this statement after he loses his students or before? It seems reasonable to assume it's afterwards because they, they didn't respect one another, whatever that means. Now, if we think about it this way, a student, now maybe Rabbi Akiva was saying that his students died because they didn't respect who? Their wives. Now, why can I make that statement? We know that the... That the we know that the Megalea uh, Mukot, a number of other sources bring, based on the Arizal, that the, there were 24,000 people who died in Shechem, who were killed by Shimon and Levi in Shechem. So Shimon and Levi, the, the, the Shechem ben Hamor, the prince of Shechem, took Dina as a wife. Was, uh, he raped her. He wanted to marry her. And all the people convinced, he convinces them all to get Brit Milah. Shimon and Levi killed the whole city, and one of the Midrashim say it was 24,000 people. We know that at the time of the, the Jewish people leaving Egypt, right before we got into Eretz Israel, we had a problem in the fields of Moab, right? We had the women, the, the, the Moabite and Midianite women set up this, this uh, bazaar, and the men came in and they convinced them to sleep with them, and we had 24,000 people from the tribe of Shimon die. And then again, we have 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. So they say, what is it? 24,000. So why 24,000, 24,000, 24,000? So one of the opinions is, 24,000 people die from Shechem. They die. They got up to heaven and they say, hey, why did we die? We just, committed, we just made Brit Milah. What, what, what did we do to die? So did you really mean it? So we're going to send you down a test. You're going to be part of the people in the desert. And we're going to see if you really were going to be Shomer Brit, meaning not to have relations when I'm not supposed to. So we send you down again. You come down, and what happens when I send you down and you're in the desert? You see these Moabite women. They take you into the tent. They tell you we have better goods in the back. They come in the back. They ask if you want a glass of wine. You know, that's why Pinhas established we don't have wine. Goyim and can't have wine together because of this. So they go into the back, they have a cup of wine, and the next thing you know, they're together. And the 24,000 were, were those people 
who came back. It says they come back one more time as the students of Rabbi Akiva. One question I never understood. What do you mean they come back as the students of Rabbi Akiva? What do they have to do with the man in the moon? So it says, here's a possibility. A student learns from his rabbi. Rabbi Akiva got married to a wonderful woman. Her name was Rachel. And what happened? He got married to her and she convinces him to go away to yeshiva. And he goes away for 12 years. And then he comes back from yeshiva. And the neighbor is saying, look at your lousy husband. He left for 12 years. And she says to the neighbor, if he would leave for another 12 years, I would be thrilled. He hears. He's afraid to even walk into the tent. And he goes away. So 24 years, he's away from his wife. When he finally comes and he sees his wife, she's coming up to him. The students don't want to let her through. And finally he says, my Torah, your Torah is all her Torah. But the fact is, the student sees how his rabbi behaves. And he didn't see his rabbi. They didn't see their rabbi with their wife. So perhaps what their sin was, lo nahagu, they didn't behave correctly, was l'reacha, to their spouse. That's one possibility. But let's go look at another possibility now. That, that's an issue. So the, the, on the same side, the same, the, same, the same story tells us that Shechem, who was the one who, was, who raped Dina and then was committed to marry her, he dies. He goes up and he says, listen, <laughs> not fair. So he comes back again as his own son. Who's his own son? The son born from him in Dina. Who is he? He is, he is the Ben HaKananit, who, who really is, the, the Midrash says that he is the prince of the tribe of Shimon. So this guy Zimri, Zimri, who's the tr- prince of the tribe of Shimon, it says he has three names. Something Ben Salu, also Shaul Ben HaKananit, meaning who's the Kananit? Shechem. And he's now Zimri. He's Zimri coming back and he has a test again. Are you going to sleep with the woman when you're not supposed to? And what does he do? Instead of waiting to convert Dina, who came back again as Cosby, he jumps the gun and he sleeps with her and he's killed. And who's the tikkun for all of them? Rabbi Akiva. Why? Rabbi Akiva comes and he's tested with the wife of Tunis Rufus. Tunis Rufus is the Roman, and he fights with Rabbi Akiva again and again. And what happens? His wife says, I'm going to get this guy. So she goes and she tries to, she's the most beautiful woman. She tries to seduce him again and again. Finally, she comes to him in her birthday suit. And he, he spits on the floor. And then he starts to cry and then he starts to laugh. And she says, what are you doing? I mean, you don't want to be with me? Spits on the floor? What do you mean spits on the floor? She says, he says, you come from nothing. You come from putrid nothing. And I'm crying because even though you're so beautiful, eventually you're going to be buried. And while you're laughing, I don't want to tell you. She was so impressed that what did she do? Her husband died. She converted. And who did she marry? Rabbi Akiva. That's why he was laughing. And he didn't have to worry about paying for any of his bills. Because why? She inherited all the money from Tunis Rufus. And that was, so you see, he was the tikkun. Because he was, she was going to marry him in the end. So what was the difference? The difference is, Shechem sleeps with Dina instead of waiting. Zimri sleeps with Cosby instead of waiting. So Rabbi Akiva is metaken, all of them how? By self-control. Saying, no, I wait. Why did he take her as the wife? Why did he take the woman? 
He ma- no, he marries her later. She converts. She's an unbelievable woman. and oh, she, converts. she converts, of course. That's the whole idea. He, she converts. She's so impressed. That she's so impressed with the Jewish people that someone could have self-control when I'm giving myself to them and they have a higher purpose. There must be a higher purpose in life. So she starts to investigate and she comes to convert and that's the, that's the end of that story. Okay? Okay, end of story. Now we go back. So we have again, so Rabbi Akiva says, we say, so this, we're going to look at another, another view of this. And again, going by things we've heard again and again and trying to see them in a different way. So Rabbi Akiva says, the Midrash in Torah Kohanim says, Zeklal Gadol Torah. This is a fundamental principle of the Torah. So like we said, it's interesting that we find ourselves now in Sefirat HaOmer. And one of the reasons we're in this semi-mourning state in this period, even though we're really not mourning, is because the students of Rabbi Akiva died. 24,000 students. And why did they die? says specifically, Rabbi Akiva had 12,000 pairs of students extending from Givat to Antiparis. They all died during one period of time because they did not treat each other with respect. Thus, the world was left barren of Torah until Rabbi Akiva went to the south and he found five students. Who were those five students? Rabbi Meir Balanes, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yossi, he's the one all the time in the, in the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and also Rabbi Elazar ben Shamuah. And those students upheld the Torah at that time. And, and that's the thing. So when did they die? They died sometime during this period of the Omer. Now one of the opinions that I want to come back to it is, no, you know, they really didn't, they died, it says, of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a disease where they couldn't breathe and they suffocated basically in death. Another opinion is, you know, they really died fighting with Bar Kochva. But we don't want to say that. So we say they died from some disease. So keep that in your back of your mind. But the, the, the Gemara basically tells us, why did they die? The Midrash is telling us also, why did they die? They died because they didn't respect one another. What does that mean, they didn't respect one another? The students of Rabbi Akiva, how could, how could it be? So it seems after they die, Rabbi Akiva decides, hey, I must have messed up in how I taught my two students. So let me tell you what the most important thing of the Torah is. You should love your friend like yourself, which is almost impossible because you know everyone loves themselves more than anyone else. So how do you love Reacha? That's why I like the wife part of you know. <laughs> anyway, so so now so during the Sefirah, we look at it that they specifically died during this period, and during this period we want to work, we want to try to understand how the Ahavtal Reacha Mocha relates to this period. So we know there's a story, and again we're going to take a simple story that we all heard. I think we all heard. About Hillel Hanasi. So we know there's two guys, Hillel and Shammai. The story in Gemara and Shabbat is, there's a non-Jew. And he presents himself to Shammai. And he says to Shammai, convert me on the condition that you will teach me the entire Torah while I am standing on one foot. Huh? Convert me on the condition that you'll teach me the entire Torah while I'm standing on one foot. So what does Shammai do? Shammai was a builder. So as a builder, he always had his, uh, his yardstick, his uh, measuring stick. So what did he do? He took his yardstick and he whacked the guy and he says, get out of my face. What are you, a lunatic? So this guy comes to Hillel and he says to Hillel, convert me, right? 
on the condition that you're going to teach me the entire Torah. I, I, imagine the words, the entire Torah, while I stand on one foot. So, Hillel converts him. And he says to him, that which is, distaste, that which is distasteful to you, do not do unto your fellow. He says, this is the message of the entire Torah. What you don't want to be happen to you, don't do to someone else. He says, he says, and the rest of the Torah is simply an explanation of this statement that I've made. And he says to him, go and learn. Rashi explains, what does this mean? Hillel is saying, this, that which is distasteful to you, do not do to your fellow. And Rashi says, right over there, he says... This is ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. So saying Rashi there that this single mitzvah is the foundation of the entire Torah. One all-encompassing brief statement. And the rest of the Torah is merely an elaboration of this rule which needs to be explored and studied. This is the message that Rabbi Akiva is saying this, in fact, was evident at Har Sinai. How? We know that the Torah was not given to the Jewish people, to the Bnei Israel, until they stood together in total unity as ish echad echad, as they had to stand together, one man with one heart. And it says there, Vayechan Sham Yisrael. Neged hahar. That's the pasuk. They and it's singular. Vayichan. It's singular. It's not not they. They. It's and he settled. Rashi comments in the name of the mechilta. Like I said, keish echad belev echad. The whole people was for I don't know maybe the only time as one person with one heart. Thus we see that at that moment the unity among Israel between. One of B'nai Israel and another of B'nai Israel was perfect, and this is the foundation of the entire Torah. To receive the Torah on Shavuot, we are required to have Ishechad Belevechad, to be unified. Notwithstanding, we still need to understand what was the intent of the Goy who made this odd request to Hillel and Shammai. Please. Is it be unified or be unified in Mitzvot and Torah? Because we can be unified in God forbid other things. Ah, so the interesting statement with that, the rabbis say, in the time of King David, who was the ultimate of kings, and who was as righteous as you can get, the people were learned and learned and did everything. And they had wars, and there were people who died at war. And in the time of Ahav, who was an idolater, married to an idolater, they had wars and didn't lose. What do you mean? How is it possible that during David's time you could have wars with all Sadiqim and you could lose, while in Ahab's time when the idolaters you could win every war until the end, until he... How is it possible? It says in David's time they weren't unified, even though they were Sadiqim. And in Ahab's time... They were unified. So he's unified even, even Lo Lashem Shammai. Even Lo Lashem Shammai. Even not for heaven's sake. That's how strong unity, unity is. So, he goes, so we go further. He says, what, what, is, what is this Goy saying when he's saying, Al Regal Achad? 
And how did Hillel's response satisfy his request? The Goy said, teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. How is this statement satisfying this Goy? And what's the connection between and the entire Torah to the extent that the Torah was not given to Israel until they achieved this level of unity? So it appears we could explain the matter based on a concept that we find in many of our sources. So we should realize there's a, there's a statement that says that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah. There actually aren't. There's 360, whatever. There are 600,000 letters, one letter per person. So how do you get 600 if there's only three? You take the tops and you take the, the different parts of the letters and you say there's 600,000. So basically there's a letter or part of a letter for every single neshama. Every single neshama has a letter in the Torah, so to say. On Shabbat, we say in our tefilot, Kadeshenu b'mitzvotecha, sanctify us with your mitzvot, v'tenchilkenu b'toratecha, and give us our portion in your Torah. Which means each of us has a specific portion in the Torah. Each of us. The gra, the Vilna Gaon, he explains what Chazal mean based on the Gemara Nida. He says that when each of us, and again, this is a story we all heard. When each of us is in our mother's womb, there's a Malach that teaches us the Torah. He teaches us the entire Torah. When the baby is born, the Malach strikes the baby on the, on the mouth and causes him to forget the entire Torah. And that's when we were little kids, they told us that's why we all have the, the little... Uh... <laughs> so the Gemara says, what's going on? It says, in utero, in your mother's womb, a person is taught his unique portion of the Torah that he is required to know, Be'olam Hazem. So I want to say every one of us has some specific job to do in this world. What is it? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, you do know. Because the angel told it to you when you were inside, but you forgot. So all you have to do is try to remember. <laughs> it says that every one of us has a specific part of Torah that's unique to us. And that he's required to clarify that piece of Torah in Olam Hazer. Subsequently, the person is made to forget. So that what? He'll learn the entire Torah... And he'll merit through fulfilling that task to learn his portion as well. If we think about what the Vilna Gaon is saying, it turns out that the completeness or the wholeness of the Torah depends on the unity of Israel. So for example, if I take out a Torah and I see I'm reading in a Torah and I look and I see I'm missing a letter, what do I have to do? Close the Torah, put it back. Now the next week, the letter was missing from last week. Can I take out the Torah next week? I know that portion is probably good. It was only in last week's. Can I take out the portion next week? No. No, it's no good. Why? Because if a single letter is missing, the Torah is invalid. Meaning if a single one of us is missing, the Torah is invalid. Not only that, if two letters are touching one another, what happens? The Torah is invalid. You have to make a separation. Because each of us has our own 
part, chelkeinu, our own part within the Torah. So he says, we have to understand that the completeness of the Torah, this is the Vilna Gaon, depends on the unity of B'nai Israel. Scary, what you, right? What do you mean by unity? I don't know, let's see what he says. Only then can all the portions of the Torah be bound together as one. So every one of us has a part. Each of our parts have to join together in order to make a single Torah. Conversely, chas v'shalom, if B'nai Israel are divided and they're lacking unity and they lack harmony, they cause a rift and a disconnection between the portions of the Torah. Therefore, the Torah admonishes us in Bamidbar, in Parashat Bamidbar, or in the book of Bamidbar, Torah achat umishpat achat yelachem. One Torah, one law should be for you. Do not allow the portions of the Torah to be split apart due to divisions and discord between fellow Jews. This explains very nicely why the Torah is only given to the people on Shavuot when they come together. Levechad, right? Ke'ishechad belevechad. Only then was there a union of the portions of the Torah and therefore the Torah could be given. Now let's go back to the request of the Goy to Shammai and Hillel. Evidently, this Goy, this person, this Ger, this convert, he was aware that every single person has a unique portion in the Torah. So he requested from Shammai, convert me on the condition that you will teach me the entire Torah in its entirety while I am standing on one leg. He, re- he uses redundant language. He says the entire Torah in its entirety. What do you mean? Two. Why? He says, Kol HaTorah Kula. Kol and Kula. Emphasizing that he wanted to comprehend not only his portion within the Torah, but he wanted to understand the portion of every single other person as well. So Shammai pushes him away. Because it's impossible for a person to attain, so to say, this level of understanding fully every single person's portion within the Torah. Because every single person possesses his unique portion that he received at Sinai. Yet when Hillel is asked the same question, what does Hillel do? He's basically telling him, Ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. He says, if you kamocha, if you love every other person as yourself, if you are of one mind and body, by doing so, what's going to happen? You will attain all of their portions as well, because all of the portions come together. This is the deeper significance of the expression, When B'nai Israel are in total harmony and unity, they are like a single body with one heart and one mind. Every bit of knowledge and pleasure spreads throughout the entire body. Now we understand what Hillel is saying. The rest are explanations. Go and learn. In other words, after you accept upon yourself, so that it will be considered as if then it will be considered as if you also attained the portions of every other person. If you really can reach the level, then everyone is joined and you can understand everyone else. He says, so it's incumbent upon you to reveal the meaning of your own personal portion of the Torah, the portion that Hashem made for you, to reveal it to other people. 
for you must also contribute your portion of the Torah to all of Israel. So this is the meaning of the mitzvah. Each of us has a portion. We have to share our portion with everyone else. And when all the portions are shared, we come together as one. When he's saying to him, that which is distasteful to you, do not do unto others, just as it is distasteful to you, if your fellow Jew is unwilling to share his portion of the Torah with you, in a similar fashion, you must share your portion of Torah with all the rest of Israel. By doing so, it will be as if you learn the entire Torah while standing on one leg. Now to really understand this, we have to go to Rabbi Akiva and his students. Because what was this sin? They did not comprehend that every single Jew has his own path in the Torah and that each is equally valid and divinely ordained. As a consequence, they failed to properly respect one another. It was precisely for this reason that they perished during these 49 days of the Omer. Why only in this period specifically? Because this is the period of time that we're required to come together in order on Shavuot to receive the Torah. So by lacking the unity, by not respecting one another, maybe not sharing in their learning, which is one of the opinions, what happens? They can't be the conduit for the next generation. They can't be. Therefore, they can't live. And therefore, it's crucial that he finds these other five students who in essence, who are these students? Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, Rabbi Meir Baal Hanes, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi... Who are those five students? Those are the guys that took the whole Torah and transferred it over to the future. They were the ones. Because these 24,000 should have been the ones. But because they couldn't join in unity, they messed everything up. So these are the days, this whole idea of the Omer, and why do we have in the Omer, you know, even the, even the people who have zero Kabbalah, even Sidurim that have nothing to do with Kabbalah, who the opposite of Kabbalah, they still look in there and they say, in the Sibri, they say the first day is Chesed, Shebe Chesed, they say all of the Kabbalistic things when it comes to the Omer. Why? Because all of those thoughts are only to do one thing, to bring unity. They don't understand what they're saying. But really the whole idea of the Omer is to fix oneself to bring unity between different people. So these are the days that all of, that all of B'nai Israel must unite in preparation for receiving the Torah just as they did at the time of Matan Torah. He says, so we have to remember, we have to be like Vayichan Yisrael. Yisrael in camp. One person. One person. This enables them to receive the Torah on Chag HaShavuot. I'll go further. I'm going to tell you a crazy story. With regard to this subject, we're going to go into the, the, the Shulchan Aruch. There's a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch called the Mordechai, Mordechi. And he brings a story, and he tells a story in the Shulchan Aruch, in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, on two Tosafists. Who are the two Tosafists? So basically we know that we have one of the most famous commentaries we have is Rashi. Rashi has a, has a son, his name is Rabbi Meir, his son-in-law. He only has daughters. And remember the story with the daughters with Tefillin? I don't think they were Tefillin. I'm sure they didn't. Anyway, his son-in-law, Rabbi Meir, has, has a number of sons. 
One of his sons is Rabenu Shemuel. Another one of his sons is Rabenu Yaakov. So these are the Tosafists. When you look into the Gemara, you see the commentary of Rashi on one side, and on the other side you have Tosvot. These are the grandchildren of Rashi, and it's very interesting. They often disagree with their grandfather. Of the Tosafists, the most famous are Rabenu Tam, who's really Yaakov, the son of the son of Meir, the grandson of Rashi, and his brother Shemuel, who's called the Rashbam. One is Rabenu Tam, one is the Rashbam. These are crucial names, these are crucial Rishonim. Many of the laws that we've developed are based on their opinions. The Rashbam was a very, very humble person. And he typically walked, this is the story he brings. He typically walked with his head down. So he was about to board a carriage and he didn't notice that the carriage was being pulled by a horse and a mule together. Miraculously, his brother, Rabinu Tam, appears at that moment and he tells his brother, the Rashbam, not to be so righteous. He tells him, if you would merely look up for a minute instead of being so humble and always looking at the floor, you'll see that there's a horse and a mule standing in front of you. And we learn in the Tosefta with the halachot of Kilayim that it's prohibited to harness a horse and a mule together or a mule and a donkey together. And therefore, he abstained from getting on the carriage. Now we have simple reasons why it's it's, uh, it's, it's forbidden. The simple reason is one is faster, stronger. We don't want to, to, to do anything not nice, so to say, to the animal. The pasuk, though, in, in, uh, in Devarim says, do not plow using an ox and a donkey together. They're forbidden. You can't plow using an ox and a donkey. One of the reasons there that the rabbis bring is because the ox, what does he do? He regurgitates his food. So the ox is walking with the donkey and all of a sudden they're walking and the donkey's looking at the ox and the ox looks like he's eating and the donkey gets jealous so we don't put them. That's one of the simple reasons. But there's a really much more deeper uh, reason. So Chazal deduced from here that it's prohibited to unite two animals of a different species. Not just for plowing but for any form of labor such as pulling a carriage. And this is how it is written in Shulchan Aruch. It is prohibited to perform work with two species, such as plowing and pulling a carriage and the like. Whether one is impure, the other is pure. Whether both are impure, whether both are pure. Elsewhere we find the following ruling. This is also in the Shulchan Aruch. A wagon that is drawn by animals of different species, it is prohibited to ride in it. Even if he is not driving, because his riding in it is the reason that they are pulling the wagon. Similarly, it is prohibited for one to ride in the wagon and one to drive. So in this story, both the horse and the mule are two species of impure animals, and they're including in the prohibition. Therefore, it was prohibited for Rashbam to get on the carriage drawn by them. And the halakha states, he can't go. Miraculously, his brother, Rabbeinu Tam, appears and prevents him from getting into the carriage and from making a sin. So now let's examine the incident. It seems like a crazy story. What's really going on? So so let's examine the incident more closely in order to better understand the important lessons that it conveys. First of all, it's evident that Rabbeinu Tam and the Rashbam 
had two distinct ways of serving Hashem, even though they're both brothers. They both have their own path. The Holy Rashbam, he typically cast his gaze downward to prevent his eyes from observing things that are prohibited. And he was trying to sanctify his eyes. Now, I don't want to look at the billboards. Right? It says, on the other hand, his brother, Rabbeinu Tam, he chastised him. He says, don't be so religious. Okay? He says, it's true you have to safeguard your eyes. But you have to pick up your eyes to see where you're going. Otherwise, you're going to end up making a sin. So in support of the explanation, we find the early scholars nicknamed Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam. Why is he called Rabbeinu Tam? His name was Yaakov. Where did you get Tam from Yaakov? So he says, says the rabbis, he possessed a spark of the neshama of Yaakov Avinu. His name was Yaakov. He possesses a spark of Yaakov. And who was Yaakov described as? Yaakov is Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. So because his name was Yaakov and he was a spark of Yaakov, they called him Rabbeinu Tam. Furthermore, Yaakov is an Ishtam. And it says, Yaakov raised his eyes to see his brother Esav coming. So sometimes in life, what do you have to do? You have to pick up your eyes. He says further, the Rashbam found himself in a difficult predicament. He wants to enter the carriage to travel, but he doesn't look up. He says, so what are you supposed to do? So he says, the Rashbam is depending on something else. It says the Rashbam is depending on what we have in, based on the, the Navin Shmuel. It says, Ragle Chasidav Yishmor. It says, the steps of the righteous, God will watch. It says, He guards the steps of His devout ones. Therefore, Hashem made a miracle. And even though Rabbeinu, Rashbam didn't look up, what did He do? He caused His brother to be there at the right moment to prevent him from sinning. So in the words of the Mordechai, he says, Rabbeinu Tam arrived just in time to save his brother from getting in the carriage and making the sin. Without a doubt, he says, Rabbeinu Tam was delighted that he had the opportunity to prevent his brother from sinning. He says, nevertheless, he had to reprimand his brother. He says, don't be too, too religious. Look up, see a horse and a mule. They're standing in front of you. Now, the story doesn't tell if the Rashbam replied. And most likely, based on the kind of guy who keeps his head down all the time, he probably didn't reply, probably didn't say anything. But he could have replied and said, listen, I know if I do the right thing, God is going to protect me. And therefore, you showed up at this very moment. So now you see, what, well, what is it? Which one is it? Who was right? So that's the answer. He says, this is where we get from this story... Let us endeavor to resolve. He says, which of the two is right? This is from the Mordechai. He says, from this he says, that we should know. One is saying that sometimes you have to look up. The other is saying, if I just look down and I act the right way, Hashem is going to protect me. He says that. He goes further. He says, Hashem protected him. So he says, so how's the answer? So Rabbi Pinchas Friedman, he says, it's important to recognize that these two brothers, Rabbi Tam and the Rajbam, are among the greatest scholars, not only of their generation, in all of history. He says they were the greatest of the Tosafists. Not only did they teach the members of their generation the ways of the Torah and how to best serve Hashem, but they left an indelible imprint upon all of Israel throughout the generations. There's no one who studies, no one who studies 
that doesn't read the words of these two every single day of his life. That's how important these guys are. If you open up the Gemara, it's impossible to learn without them. So each one of them has, it, has his own way of serving Hashem. One of them decides to be lowering his eyes not to look. Rabbeinu Tam is concerned to look. So each have own, which is right. So he says, what was the purpose of the story? It's to teach that both methodologies are correct. He says, and divinely inspired. Each one's methodology was well intended and suited, suited its originator's neshama. So each of us have our own path. My path, not your path. Your path, not my path. Therefore, Hashem orchestrated this scenario to highlight the differences between the approach of the two brothers. On the one hand, Rabbeinu Tam saved the Rashbam from riding in the carriage. This reinforced his belief that his methodology is correct, that Hashem is going to protect me. On the other hand, the sequence of the events reinforced the Rashbam's belief. He's, so one of them says, it's better that I, that I save. Each of them has their own side. And from here we say, where he says, Mishpite Hashem emets it koyachdav. He says, the, this is what David HaMelech writes, the judgment of Hashem is true, righteous altogether. If we continue, really what you're saying, they're both right. This is the place where we see the principle of Elu ve'elu divrei Elohim chayim. Meaning this and this are both the words. How could you have two opposite scenarios and we say both of them could be the proper way to serve Hashem? Let's go further now. Now we get into a little heavy. The Megaleh Amukot on Va'ed Chanan, he writes, regarding the Torah's rationale for prohibiting, it says in the Torah, you can't have an ox and a donkey. Why no ox, no donkey? He says, what is the ox and what is the donkey? What do each of these animals represent on a spiritual level which prohibits us from bringing them together? And by not bringing them together, we in essence protect ourselves. He says, Ishmael represents the corruption and the tum'ah of Abraham's attribute of chesed. He's the, he's the, he says that Ishmael is the klipa version of chesed, known as the klipa of the donkey. So Ishmael represents the klipa of the donkey. There's much more to it with why Ishmael is the donkey. He says Esav represents the corruption and tum'ah of Yitzchak's attribute of Giburah. So Yishmael's father is who? Avraham. Avraham is the one of Chesed. But it says that when he has Yishmael, it's the Chev, it's the negative of Chesed. So Yishmael represents the negative of the Chesed. This is represented by the, by the Chamor. That's the donkey. That is Yishmael. The son of Yitzchak is who? Esav. He represents the negative aspect of the Gevurah, of the judgment, of the justice, of the, of the binding of Yitzchak. And his klipa is on, the, on, on that side of Gvura and represented by the ox. Because we said many times, the ox represents the aspect of Gvura. These two klipot, headed by Esav and Ishmael, are ox and a donkey. Says, says the Megalam Mukot, that if you take these two dangerous klipot, they represent the other 70 nations. He says, the ministering angel of Esav stands in charge of 35 nations on the left side of the klipah. And the ministering angel of Ishmael stands on the right side of the, of the, of the side of the klipah, the side of chesed.
So if you allow these to come together, he says, He says, you're not allowed to bring them together. He says, because if you unite these two forces, since they are the root of all the forces of Tumah among the 70 nations of the world, he says, what happens? You allow the forces of Tumah to come against you and attack you. Unbelievable. He says, along these lines we learn in the Mishnah, this is still Megalea Mukhor, Pizur le reshaim hana'a lahen vehana'a le'olam. Dispersal for the wicked is beneficial for them and beneficial to the world. Rashi explains there that because they are separated from each other, they cannot conspire together and assist each other in perpetrating evil. You see. It's amazing. It's amazing. But you see it in the real world. In the United Nations, that's exactly what's happening. That's the danger. Right. So he says, but why are they united? You have to see, the only way they could be united is if... We're disunited. So we presented several times this teaching of the Khatam, Khatam Sofer. He said in Parshat Lech Lecha, he says that when unity exists within the realm of Kiddushah, it causes division among the Rasha'im. If we are unified, the Rasha'im are forced apart. He says, on the other hand, of Chas Shalom, there's a lack of unity within the realm of Kedushah. It creates unity among the Rasha'im. He applies this principle to, the, to explain the dispute between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. So if you remember, when Abraham and Lot come back from Mitzrayim, they got plenty of money, right? Really, as much as you could imagine. They have so much cattle that they received as a gift from, from the king of Egypt. The land can't support both. And the Pasuk says specifically, I'll read the English version, and the land could not support them living together for their possessions were abundant and they were unable to dwell together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Avram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock and the rest of the Pasuk is... And then the Canaanites and the Perizi were dwelling in the land. He says, what, 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 is, what is the argument between the two sides have to do with the Canaanim and the... He says, you should, yes, Lamar, we'll do it in English. It is customary for Sadiqim to exist in total harmony. Thus, when they gather together, it is beneficial to them and it is beneficial to the world. The fa- this fact alone creates separation and division among the Rishayim of the world. Unfortunately, the converse is also true. When a lack of unity and harmony exists among the Sadiqim, among it allows the Rishayim to join together, which bodes evil for the world. We see in the Pesukim above that the dispute and lack of unity between Abraham's people and Lot's people enabled what? The Canaanite and the Parisi to dwell in the land in peace and harmony. Our actions Affect. create their right. So now we can begin to understand to some degree why Hashem chose to spare the Rashbam from sinning by bringing his brother. Do not plow using an ox and a donkey together by arranging a chance meeting between the two illustrious brothers, Rabbeinu Tam and Rashbam. That encounter demonstrated that although they had different philosophies regarding the service of Hashem, think of what I'm saying. Different philosophies regarding the service from Hashem. Who is that? That's all of us. Okay? Every Jew. Right? He says, we have different philosophies. He says, Elu ve'elu divrei Elohim chayim. 
These and these are the words of Hashem. You could have different ways of looking, and they both could be true. Both are divinely inspired and correct. We see that gathering together of Sadiqim benefited them both and benefited the world at large. As a consequence, by them coming together, the forces of evil were prevented from joining forces. The ox and the donkey were kept apart. Therefore, it was specifically the joint effort of the two brothers that resulted in the fulfillment of the mitzvah that you should not join a, a shore and a chamor together. From all of this that has been said, we can understand a valuable lesson regarding the avodah that's required throughout the year and especially during these days of Sefirata Omer. When the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died, why did they die? They didn't respect one another. He says, it's imperative to respect our fellow Jew. Even when we disagree as to the best and proper way to observe the Torah and serve Hashem, by maintaining unity and harmony within the realm of Kiddushah, we will create division and discord among the Rashaim of the world. Ultimately, this will merit us the complete, complete Geulah. Now let me go back. One of the opinions that we talked about Sunday morning is, did they really die from this disease or did they die in the war? With Bar Kochba. If you say they died in the war in Bar Kochba, why wasn't, if Rabbi Akiva said Bar Kochba is the Mashiach, how could Rabbi Akiva be so wrong? Maybe Bar Kochba had the potential to be the Mashiach, but because of the lack of the unity of the people in the time, they allowed the outside forces to become unified and defeat them. If you remember the story also with the destruction of the temple and what's going on in Rome, you really could have had at any time, you know, remember, so Titus takes over, right? Vespasian takes over. You, have, you, could, have had, you could have had wars between the Romans at that time. For whatever reason, what happened? They got together. Why did they get together? Because there was disunity among the people. If we're unified, if we attempt to be unified, if we focus on being unified then we could overcome. He's bringing it in Kiddushah. If we're, we're tempted to come together in Kiddushah, we have to realize everyone has their own place. The strange Midrash says that at the end of time, you're going to have a circle. Hashem's going to sit in the middle and all the Sadiqim are around the circle. I remember when I heard it, I asked my rabbi, what are we going to play romper room and go dance in a circle? What does that mean? That Hashem is the middle of the circle and all the Sadiqim are outside the circle. What is a circle? It's 360 degrees. Okay, you may be on one side of the circle and I may be on the other guy, right? We're talking about certain sects of Hasidim and us. Maybe they're on this side and we're on this side, right? But each of them is equidistant to the center. As long as you're on the circle, meaning within the realm of Kiddushah, that's the answer. You have to be placed on the circle. And then you, should, you have to be able to appreciate and respect that everyone on the circle may have a different vision, may have a different view, may have a different perspective, because he's here and I'm here. We have an opposite perspective. But they're still on the circle. If we respect their opinion, and we can be, be so to say, respectful towards each other, then what do we do? We defeat the dark side who wants to come together and hurt us. Their strength only comes in our disunity. That's what he's saying. That's what the Zohar is telling us. See, what's the practical side of it? The Zohar is telling us their unity depends on one thing. Your disunity. And their disunity is based on your unity. You want the enemies of us to come together? They come together when, we're disuni- when we don't have unity. 
And that's I hope being called to unite with Hilonim, lobster eating Hilonim. No, I told you on the fry. on the circle. It's very specific. Everywhere that it's quoting, it's talking about kedusha, 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 kedusha. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be on the circle. Does it mean that we should turn our backs to anyone? No, we shouldn't turn our backs. Everyone should be brought back into the circle. But it doesn't mean that someone who's going to tell me that, that he decided, because he got together with a group of rabbis, that the laws are archaic and they're going to make up new laws, they don't have a place on the circle. That's, you know, that's my humble opinion. If I'm getting too much on a tangent, you don't have to answer this. Go wherever you want. I can understand why the Burak can be corrupted with Esau. How, how does Ishmael corrupt Chesed? Ah, so the easy answer on corrupting Chesed, I, I mean, basically, we, we, we call, what's a Kedesha? A Kedesha is a prostitute. What's the problem of the prostitute? She has too much Chesed. She has too much chesed. Even chesed has to have glura. So Abraham, whose chesed is binding Yaakov, because too much chesed runs... Runs amok. Yeah. So too much chesed is let it all go. Too much on the other side, sleeping on the bed of nails, is also not our place. That's why we have not just Abraham, not just Yitzchak, we have the balance of Yaakov. Everything has to be balanced by us. We're always looking for balance. Any other question? Just like Yosef and uh, Yehuda. Ah, yeah. But two places, really two places on the, on the circle, so to say. That's why the tribes are 12. Because you have 12, the points on the circle. So the Midrash says, the Midrash tells us that, that Ishmael, that you know, the story is that Abraham came to Ishmael's house and he said to, he said he saw his and he got he was there and the woman who was there ignored him and he said tell the owner of the house his uh, what's the what's the piece on the bottom of the you know below the door your threshold your threshold is is not strong and so he says he came back sometime later and he saw the the different wife and she's taking care of him and then he says tell the master of the house the threshold is strong the midrash tells us that when we had akedat yitzchak. Ishmael came to Yitzchak, and at that time he accepted the Yitzchak. But it's not the problem is Ishmael himself. The, pro- the problem is his children. Thanks everybody for listening. Hashem. We'll be with you next week.